The format of this meeting is two 10-minute speakers followed by our information break, and then our main speaker who will speak for 30 minutes. Our first 10-minute speaker is Julie H. Hi, everybody. I'm Julie. I'm an alcoholic. And first, I want to thank everyone who's doing service at this meeting. Anita, thank you for asking me to speak, and everyone else who's supporting me in, in doing this. I'm obviously terrified, but... Uh, I guess that comes with the territory. Um, I will give you my stats. My sober date is September 19th, 2018. My sponsor is Amy G. This is my home group. I'm so proud to be a member of the Atlantic group and so grateful and so honored that I've been asked to speak. Um, if I was to tell you my whole story, it would be longer than war and peace. So I have to condense it because I've lived that long. Um, so I'm going to try and take the bullet points here. Um, the most important thing that I want to say is all I ever wanted was a sense of peace. And the inside of who I was was so different than the outside. I was popular. I was vice president of my student council. I was captain of cheerleaders. And it, and it goes on and on. And that all means nothing to me. I was so broken inside. I remember walking down the street at night and looking at people and going, how do they do it? How do they feel normal? How do they feel okay? I felt so broken. And I had a father who used to say to me, Julie, just be yourself. And I'm going, really? That's like making it worse. What do you mean be myself? And then on top of that, he'd say things like, you know, I love you, but I don't like you. Um, none of these things made me an alcoholic. But I think what they did was if someone else grew up like that, they may make some pretty lousy choices. Um, but because I'm an alcoholic, my choice was to drink. And drink I did. And when I drank, I got that feeling of peace that I got nowhere else. I felt whole. I felt worthy. Feeling popular was not important. I just felt like I was okay. When I looked in the mirror, I was all right. You know, it wasn't a question of being pretty or ugly. It was just, you're okay, just the way you are. And when I didn't drink or do anything else, I felt horrible. And, you know, it was a matter of time. I was a late bloomer, but bloom I did. And when I started using, uh, boy, did I ever, and I ended up in a hospital. And they weren't sure what to do with me because they didn't know if I was crazy or I was using substances because I wasn't telling anybody anything because I didn't understand. And finally, they decided I needed to go off to rehab. But in the meantime, they'd let me go into the TV room, watch TV, till they figured out where they were sending me. And I'm sitting in the TV room and this girl walks in and I, I won't name her name because that would be impolite. And she goes, Julie, I don't believe you're here. Oh my God, we're like sisters. And I'm going, oh God, no. She said, no, look, look. And she was turned into a bad lady, which was really heartbreaking. Um, I didn't find anything funny about that. Um, and she started to go through the bag. And I kid you not, she took out at least 30 pictures of me. She said, my whole life, all I wanted to do was to be like you. And I looked at her and I said, well, I guess you did it. You're just like me. And uh, that was heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking for me. 
And it was heartbreaking for how I felt about her. And of course, because I was a liar and a alcoholic, I said, well, you know, I'm just here temporarily taking a break. I'm an actress, you know, and I, I just need to rest. <laughs> I don't know what movie I got that from, but in any case, I was sent to rehab. And in rehab, they wanted me to stay for a long time. And I said, no, I've got to get home. I've got to get home to my son. And they said, why don't you pray on it? Why don't you ask God what he thinks? And I said, well, God doesn't know. I have to tell God. God doesn't know what I'm thinking. God, God doesn't know. I have to tell God what I need because I had no understanding about my will, you know, my will following his will. So I got home early and I managed to stay home on self. I managed to stay sober on self-reliance for a good period of time because I didn't go to meetings. I didn't think I needed meetings because my whole life was self-reliance. I had a father who was mentally ill. I had to take care of him. I had to take care of my family. So naturally I felt I had to take care of me. And it was only a matter of time before the you know what hit the fan, you know. And I was in big trouble. And, um, and what happened was I, you know, found the meetings and, but what I didn't understand was I had a spiritual malady. Thank you, Ashley. I found out I had a spiritual malady. I did not understand that. And so I managed to stay sober for four years through the grace of God, which I didn't know. And eventually everything went to pieces. And I ended up in a doctor's office. I didn't even know my name. I didn't know where I lived. I knew nothing. I didn't know my telephone number. And finally, I will skip because like I said, it would be war and peace. I found these meetings again. I found a sponsor who led me to a higher power. And I found out what was missing in my life. And that feeling of peace that I needed that feeling of wholeness was in 12 little steps that aren't so little that I follow every day, that I follow by helping other alcoholics to the best of my ability. I sponsor a wonderful woman. I call my beautiful sponsor every day. I am so grateful for the first sponsor who led me here. I love you, April. Amy, I love you. I love the friends I have made in this meeting. I never thought I was I would walk into a meeting and think who would want anything to do with me. And I feel part of now. And I love AA so much. I love the God of my understanding. I meditate almost every day. I pray in the morning. I pray at night. I thank God for my sobriety. I have nothing to, I am, there's no self-reliance here. I simply follow the steps. I pray. And I want to thank you for letting me speak. I'm really nervous. I hope I've helped somebody. Um, it's been an honor to speak. And God bless you all. And God bless the Atlantic Group and everyone doing service here. Thank you. Our second 10-minute speaker is Max S. Hi, I'm uh, Max. I'm an alcoholic. How are you? Um, my sobriety date is uh, July 21st, 2007. I'm a member of the uh, Atlantic Group. Uh, I do have a sponsee, or a couple sponsees and a sponsor. Um, I want to thank Pierre for uh, asking me to speak tonight. 
Uh, always happy to do service uh, at Atlantic Group. Uh, I miss I miss everybody there. I haven't I haven't really seen any of you lately. I've been out in Long Island kind of for the last nine nine ten months. Um, we'll just kind of get into the story. I mean, you know what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. Um, what it was like. I mean, I was always uh, slightly irritable, restless, and discontent. And I came from a house uh, and a family for the most part uh, of drinking. Uh, so at a young age, I, I saw, you know, after a tough day or after a good day, um, my family come home and have a couple drinks. Uh, and I could just see like their shoulders go down. I could just see like the relief that this drink provided. Um, so, I mean, at a pretty young age, you know, 12, 13, 14 years old, uh, I got my first chance to try that uh, as a solution to, uh, to these feelings that I had. Um, and it worked well. Uh, you know, I mean, after being very self-conscious uh, as a kid, uh, having a couple of drinks and going to a party, all of a sudden it was like I was doing and saying the things um, that I was too shy to do without a drink. Um, I mean, it, it just it changed everything about uh, I mean, it just seemed like the room was a little bit brighter uh, when I had a drink at age at age 13 or 14. Um, I mean, from there, I never wanted to be without it. Um, I mean, it, I was a pretty good athlete, a pretty good student. Um, and already it was like, I, you know, I, I lost track of things. It's like, I literally, after drinking for a few times, I couldn't wait, uh, to go do it again. Um, I mean, all through high school, um, it's, it's kind of one of those things like where it's, I never really got to a point in my life, um, you know, where I had an, a really low bottom, but it was just, as I look back now, and as I look back uh, when I first got sober, um, it was all the things that I, I just missed out on. Um, and I, I was a gigantic underachiever. Um, and, you know, and that's, that's really as low as my bottom got. But, um, you know, I, I drank all through high school. I drank all through college without really any, uh, any serious problems. Um, after I got out of uh, college, uh, I got married within a couple of years, um, and this is all of a sudden, you know, when when you're when you're when you're married, <laughs> or you have a, a girlfriend that you're living with, um, you're able to measure yourself against another person. And it was like, I didn't really think I had a problem, but I started to notice that she was looking at me like I had a problem, um, and that's kind of where my where I went. Um, it just kept getting. Uh, worse and worse, you know, um, we were married for a couple of years and, and next thing I know, it's like, we need to go to counseling. Um, you know, and then she's saying, maybe you should start going to AA meetings. Um, I didn't think I had a problem because I had a job. Uh, I had friends, I had money in the bank. It was like, to me, those were the things that was my, the way I graded myself was by these things that I had. Um, but, and, and plus I could look around at other friends or other people I was hanging out with and I could always say, oh, I'm not as bad as this guy. Um, well, eventually I became that guy. Um, and, you know, that's when I really started to, uh, to, to go downhill. Um, my wife left me. Uh, I started having problems at work. Um, you know, it's all fun and games. I was, I was, uh, I work in the brokerage field and, um, 
yeah, there's a lot of entertainment. So I was out all the time with clients, everything's fine. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're getting calls like you come out of office, you know. Um, and I actually um, got sent away, worked at the rehabilitation center. Um, and then 16 days there, I came back, locked a lot of my cats and things like that. Um, but when I came back, um, I thought the game was that you just, uh, you know, you, you went away, you came back, and then you figured it out. You know, that's what they said, like, self-realize. Um, I was told to go away. I didn't think I was that. It was kind of a whole problem in my whole life. I never really thought that. Hey, Matt. Hey, Matt. Yeah. Very sorry to interrupt you. You're breaking up quite a bit. Um, maybe if you want to turn off your video, it might help the broadband. Okay. Thank you. Sorry, can can you? Is that better? Yay! Thank you. We were the right. Sorry about that. Um, but anyway, I uh, I guess the bottom line is uh, I I finally found AA after a long time. Um, I didn't think it would help me. I thought uh, I could do this myself. Like like Julie said in her thing, it was self reliance. Um, I went to Atlanta Group was one of my first meetings that I went to where I really felt like I fit in uh, Atlanta Group and PAX. PAX was a men's meeting. Uh, and it was really there that I understood that I had a disease. And for the first time, it like really hit me like, you know, right in the face that um, I needed to do something different. Um, and I, I got a commitment there, which I didn't think would help. And it did. I met people. I went, uh, I came out of my shell a little bit. Um, I got a sponsor. Uh, I did the things that he said to do, which I thought like, what good is it going to do me to do this? And and all the things that I thought would not help uh, ended up getting me sober. Um, so, I mean, it's just been a revolutionary change for me. I mean, I, I came here because I couldn't stop drinking on myself and I, by myself, and I couldn't understand why I couldn't. I didn't understand that I had a disease. Uh, I went through the big book with my sponsor. He explained everything to me. I mean, it really changed my life. Once I found out that I wasn't losing my mind, um, that there are people like me uh, that have a physical allergy, um, you know, in a mental obsession. Like I couldn't stop thinking about drinking. Uh, I, 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 I thought like time, as time went by, maybe it was a possibility to re-engage. Um, and really it was like sitting down, doing the step work, reading the book. Um, I mean, it really changed my life. I'm probably running out of time, so I'll, I'll try to be quick. Um, Okay. Um, I mean, one of the things, just being out of the city and being, you know, away from all you guys and stuff, and I miss you guys. I mean, I've really just been trying to keep things very, very simple. Um, you know, take it easy. I mean, you look around the world. I mean, people are so stressed out right now. It's like, you know, I I know it's page 86 and 87. I read it all the time. And it says when, you know, when things are spinning out of control, I, I relax. I take it easy. Um, and it's just, it's it's nice to have this program that gives me the opportunity to do something so simple and take a step back uh, and just relax. So thank you guys. Sorry about the technical difficulties, but sorry. Our main speaker tonight is Jane T. 
Hi, everyone. My name's Jane, and I'm an alcoholic. And first off, I would love to thank Deborah for asking me to share tonight. And also, Julie and Max, thank you so much for sharing with the language of your heart. Um, and, and also, I just want to thank everyone who's present at this meeting, because it's all of you who taught me how to live this life truthfully and honestly and lovingly. So thank you to everyone for being here. And um, I also want to thank this amazing program of Alcoholics Anonymous. I want to uh, thank my sponsor and the sponsees that I've had throughout the years that helped me way more than I helped them. Uh, of course, I want to thank my amazing God, and I'm so lucky that I have the faith that I do. And I want to thank my family. Um, and thanks to all of them, I have been sober since September 24th of 1996. Woo! And that is a miracle. <laughs> my home group is here in Tallahassee, Florida, uh, Central Group, and... Um, I am so grateful that uh, that group was there for me. Um, it's been my home group for about 21 years now. And um, I, I want to start out by saying that right out of the gate that my drinking career lasted for 14 years. And again, how lucky are all of us to be on this path, this non-religious path of spiritual growth? You know, um, of course, it has everything to do with... Um, self-development but only through mutual assistance so um so anyway and of course what a crazy week this has been i've been doing a lot of praying as i'm sure you all have been too a lot of resentments going around um so i always like to start with a prayer and um this is one of my favorite prayers it's called prayer for freedom of resentment after all, we know that uh, resentments can be uh, uh, one of our number one uh, offenders. I know for me, it is my number one offender because when we, uh, what we have to do is really concentrate on stopping, expecting, and starting accepting. <laughs> and that to me is no easy feat. So anyway, um, perhaps you have a resentment that's at the forefront of your mind. I thought maybe we could start uh, start out with just centering ourselves and um, and I'll say this prayer for freedom of resentment and hopefully we'll all feel better afterwards. God, help me to look with soft eyes upon all who are part of my days. Break through my scrutinizing views. Transform my inner landscape into a peaceful place of acceptance. Pull back my projections and my criticisms. Replace my mean measurements and my biased expectations with an openness that allows others just to be. Cleanse me of everything that clouds my perceptions and blocks the sunlight of your spirit. <sighs> All right, I let mine go. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, in this crazy world we're living in, how lucky are we to have this set of spiritual principles and spiritual practices that we can incorporate into our lives in times of uh, despair, in times of trouble, in times of turmoil, you know? And I don't know about you, but I know on the other side of this, there's a big lesson. And I also know that a power greater than ourselves is in charge of all of this. 
you know, and not only is everything going to be okay, right now, everything is okay. Uh, one of my favorite mantras that I've had since uh, the beginning of uh, COVID has been, if you want peace, be peace. And I know that when I continue to live in the present moment, like this program tells me to do, my fears are always kept at bay, you know, and, um, and I'm so lucky that we have Zoom and, uh, you know, so that we can maintain our vital social connections with, with each other uh, and to help us with our own emotional well-being. So anyway, um, uh, for me, until the pain got strong enough, I wasn't going to change. Um, and I, now that I'm on the other side of my tragedies, I can see that uh, God was never pushing me away from him. Rather, God was pulling me closer to him. You know, and um, as our literature says, sometimes the dark past ends up being our greatest gift. So what I was like, what happened and what I'm like now in 30 minutes, here we go. <laughs> um, so first of all, you probably recognize my accent. I am uh, not from Florida. <laughs> I am a Jersey girl. And, um, and I, uh, I grew up in a big Irish Catholic family uh, right across the river from uh, you guys and in New York City. And, um, and I, I, I have to say, I had a great childhood, you know, um, my mom was a stay at home mom, my dad, um, my dad, actually, uh, I always like to boast about him a little bit because it feeds into who I am. Uh, my dad was actually favored to be the first ever to break the four minute mile. And he just missed it. He did 4.00.02. But he was no, I'm, I'm proud of him because he was one of the uh, great milers of our day. And as a matter of fact, he ended up being a, a coach at a college, Manhattan College, by the way. Uh, and he brought his team to an NCAA championship back in the 70s. Uh, so, but it, it says a lot about the way that we were raised as kids, you know, work ethic, discipline, hard work, but then also have a really good time. Um, I'll tell you right now, I always believed in God. We went to Catholic uh, elementary schools. I, I even went to an all-girl Catholic high school, and I went on to go to a Catholic college as well. Um, but anyway, God was always a big part of my life. And I always like to say I had my childhood God, I had my using God, and I had my recovery God. Um, but anyway, just to uh, put my childhood into perspective, it was, it was amazing. And uh, my rebellion started when I was a teen. Uh, first drink, let me tell you about that. Uh, I was 14 years old and my cousin who was 18 and a bunch of her friends took me to the movies with them. Uh, you know, and uh, the, the movie was the original Star Wars. <laughs> okay, so we had, that stuff was cutting edge, man. We had never seen anything like that. And she just, we went in with two bottles of rum. She just kept dumping the rum into my Coke and I remember sitting there like, wow, this is so cool. Oh my gosh, you know, I was flying intergalactically with Han Solo and that Millennium Falcon. And it took me out of this world and put me on this whole new plane. I mean, shot me into a whole new galaxy and I loved it. You know, I felt whole and loved and nurtured even before having that first drink, but this took it to the next level. And that's what I went for every time I drank. I wanted to be outrageous. I wanted to be, you know, uh, amplified. 
And, um, and that's what I did. Uh, that's what I went for every time I drank. Fast forward, I really, like Julie, I was a late bloomer. I really didn't start drinking uh, hard until I got to college. And I, too, went to Manhattan College. And uh, it was New York City in the 1980s when it was everything all the time. And uh, as a matter of fact, it's so funny because uh, I have a friend who's on the meeting, Jackie, and we, we laughed because we were big time clubbers, man. We, it was Studio 54, it was the Limelight, the Kamikaze, you know, um, the Peppermint Lounge. I mean, you name it. I, I saw the Talking Heads and the Ramones at CBGB's, you know? I mean, those were, it, it was some crazy days. And uh, the kids today call it FOMO, you know, fear of missing out, but that's how my drinking started. I was just out there all the time. And very quickly, all my aspirations went into the back seat of that car I was driving. I'll tell you that right now. And um, so anyway, I did um, a bunch of geographic changes. So I'm going to go through them really quickly. But my first one was when I was a junior in college. Uh, you know, New York was pretty much killing me. Um, and I had to get away. So I I studied for a semester in France thinking, oh, uh, I'll, I'll start fresh, new life. You know what happened. Uh, you know, I got over there and I was tearing up that city of Nantes that I lived in uh, worse than I was tearing up New York. So mine was very progressive. Um, I graduated from college, moved to Hoboken, New Jersey. And again, uh, I think Hoboken has like the most bars in one square mile than anywhere else in the world, right? And so I was a high school teacher. I taught high school in Bergen County, and I uh, and I was a worked at an Irish pub at night. And I'll tell you, those years, I don't know how I did what I did, you know. But um, but yeah, again, everything all the time. If you know what I'm saying, I know we're not supposed to have an opinion on outside issues, but I loved them. Why? Because they amplified my drinking. Uh, and so anyway, um, uh, uh, I did that. I lost a couple of jobs. I also lost my morals in the, uh, you know, in those, in those years living in Hoboken. And, um, and again, geographic change. Lost that job and I, I went over and I taught in Japan for a couple of years. And uh, in Japan is where I really crossed yet another line, you know, and I have to say this. I, I had this fear of living a half-lived life. And like the other two speakers, like Julie and Max said, it was all about self-reliance. I was running on self-reliance, self-sufficiency, uh, my pride, my ego, uh, you know, and I, if you wanted to, an explanation of who I was in those days, I was a hell-raising, rule-breaking, risk-taking, rock and roll chick. And uh, you give me a dare and I'll take, on, I'll take it on, you know? So anyway, I go to Japan. Right. Uh, and thinking, oh, yeah, clean slate. Forget about it. it. It got even bumped up even worse. So um, so anyway, Japan is when I crossed that line of um, have, needing a drink first thing in the morning, looking forward to the drink at lunch and then going all out at night. Uh, as far as men go, I always chose drinking men. I become incapable of acting in a way where uh, my dignity or integrity would be preserved. I would have sad, semi-consensual, drunken experiences, wake up in a haze, and drinking was the only thing that I, would help me get rid of that guilt and that shame and that discomfort. It would dilute those feelings and make, it, make life bearable. And that became another part of my cycle. 
And, uh, you know, I'm going to make the, you get the picture. Uh, I'm going to make this short. I get back to Japan. My family doesn't want to have anything to do with me at this point because I always embarrass them. And, um, and I, uh, this was my final clean slate geographic change. I decided I got my first DUI when I got back from Japan and I decided to move down to the Florida Keys to get sober. <laughs> you know what a massive fail that, that plan ended up being. So anyway, Florida Keys is where I really hit the skids. Um, as a matter of fact, I met a guy and um, one weekend we uh, decided to, um, oh, okay, first of all, I have to say, uh, I lost that job waitressing pretty much right out of the gate and I became homeless. And um, actually, um, I, have to, I have to say this, that the woman whose couch I used to um, couch surf at passed away just yesterday. So I just wanted to honor her for a moment. But um, if it weren't for her, I wouldn't have even had a couch to sleep on. I remember walking around barefoot, drinking pop-off vodka out of a bottle. And, you know, and I was really about to die. And um, I think I was down to about 85 pounds. And I had uh, one of those realizations. Moved back up to the Keys, or from the Keys, tried to get my life together, and, um, and this is where, what happened. So I met a guy, and we decided to go down to the Keys again for a weekend. Started drinking at the first Key, uh, and um, unbeknownst to me, the, uh, there was this bridge that had just gotten blown up for that, that movie True Lies with Arnold Schwarzenegger. And we went down that bridge road and I crashed into this cement barrier. I mean, on the other side of the barrier was the water. And I hit that thing going about 40 miles an hour. And um, I'm gonna get go through this part really quickly because it's very painful, but... Um, I, um, I slammed into that wall and Max was killed in the accident. My boyfriend was killed in that accident. And I really should be dead too. I broke my neck at C1, C2. I had multiple fractures, smashed my pelvis. My foot was severed. Uh, anyway, the long and short of it is I went to, um, I, I was in the hospital um, and that's when I went to my first AA meetings. So. Um, I will talk about this for a couple of minutes. I think I'm okay on time, but I want to say that, um, the, what I heard at my first AA meetings, um, and now mind you, it happened in the hospital. So I was in the regular hospital for, uh, four months and then I had to go to a rehab hospital and then, um, the, the judge let me out on my own recognizance because I had to go through physical therapy. That's when I went to my first AA meetings. And I'll tell you something, um, those people saved my life, you know? And what I heard really loud and 15, 15 minutes, what I heard loud and clear was that, um, that uh, I had to be honest. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Yeah. And you all told me that this is when I needed to uh, abandon my pride and start to seek humility. This was the first step towards the solution. Acceptance of this step was profound. There's great power in powerlessness. I mean, you told me all of this stuff and I bought it because I was desperate. I knew that I had to drop the mask stop rationalizing, stop pointing the finger of blame at everybody else and accept that
that I indeed was an alcoholic. And, and, and again, um, I have to tell you that, that what I, my biggest takeaway was honesty. So I ended up pleading guilty. I knew I was going to prison and I got five years in prison followed by 10 years of probation. And, and I did all of that in Florida. Now prison, uh, I'm grateful that I got the five years in prison because I needed to go on a mining expedition to figure out who I was without alcohol and drugs. You know, and I learned so much in prison. You know, I learned um, every time that some, my life went awry, it was because I was putting my will between me and God. And, um, and I also learned what our literature tells us, how not, to be careful not to drift into worry, remorse, or morbid reflection, which I was prone to doing, and, because that would diminish my usefulness to others. And in prison is when I really got to know what service work was all about. You know, um, I, I also in prison, I learned how to, uh, to break through my self-deceptions and, and those lies that I would tell to myself and then really believe. And I also learned how to deal with my two biggest character defects. The first one being resentment that I just told you about. And the other one uh, being judgmental. I learned how to be patient, kind, tolerant, loving. Um, yeah, I learned so many things in prison. I'm so grateful for the time that I had there. Um, and when I got out of prison is when the miracles just started tumbling out. Um, I'll tell you something. I, uh, part of my probation was I had to go to an AA meeting every day for 10 years. Even my probation officer was like, oh my God, I never heard that before. I lost my license for life. And, um, and I also, I had a bunch of things that I had to do uh, for my probation, but I ended up uh, getting an apartment really close to the AA house. And I did, I was not doing anything that would deviate from my, uh, from my probation plan. So I, uh, I went to a meeting every day and, um, and I, I just, as an aside, I recently spoke at a, um, a gratitude dinner at down in the Florida Keys and the judge who sentenced me came to that dinner. Somebody told her that I was speaking and I was able to hug her and thank her for those five years, you know, cause I believe she saved my life. Um, but anyway, uh, to talk about miracles starting to happen when I got out, the day I got out of prison, I went to my first AA meeting at my home group that I mentioned earlier, central group here in Tallahassee. And who was there? The three women that brought the meeting into prison. And they did, I didn't know that's where they went to meetings. And, and they were like, when did you get out? I was like, today. They were like, what? You know, and that I needed signs like that from God that I was doing the right thing. You know, so thanks, by the way, if anyone does corrections work, you make a difference. And um, and then I, I decided to go back to school. Uh, after all, I ended up in Tallahassee, Florida, and they told me I'd never teach again. So I uh, ended up going back to school at Florida State University. And um, I got my MSW and um, I'm looking at my time. Okay, 15 minutes, all right. And um, so I got my MSW. Now I'll tell you, I worked really hard for that because uh, I lost my license. So I, I, my first job was as a housekeeper at a hotel. I would get up at seven in the morning, uh, ride my bike to the hotel, work, ride my bike to school, go to school until nine o'clock at night. That's how bad I wanted to change my life. That's how much I, I wanted to dedicate my life to social work and a, and, and a, a work of, uh, you know, work that involved love and service. So, um, 
so anyway, uh, then other miracles started to happen. Let me share a couple of them. And I certainly attribute them all to continuing to doing the next right thing. Um, so I, uh, my first job when I graduated was at a detox, right? <laughs> How perfect is that? And, uh, I, and then I started working in a community mental health. And every time I had to get uh, waivers from the state, by the way, because of my felony conviction. And I always thought to myself, you know, I'm doing the right thing. They have to, you know, give me a chance. And that's what I would say to everyone is please give me a second chance. Where, what would any of us be, where would any of us be without forgiveness? And I promise I won't let you down. And I never let anyone down. And after a couple of years, I got a call from the Dean at the College of Social Work asking if I would be interested in teaching a class. I was like, oh my gosh, they told me I would never teach again. And now I'm getting asked to teach a class at a university. So I was an adjunct professor teaching, guess what? Substance use disorders. And, and, um, and I must have gotten really good student evaluations because after three years, the Dean asked me if I was interested in a full-time faculty position. And I mean, talk about a miracle, you know? Uh, so today I've been, I've been teaching there for um, 12 years now. Today I am a teaching professor at Florida State University's College of Social Work. And I could not consider myself more fortunate. I mean, I love working with college students. I am definitely the go-to professor on campus if students are experiencing substance use disorders. Um, and I, uh, I attribute everything to, um, to this program. And um, I also wanted to make mention of the fact that, um, uh, or a couple of other miracles, I should say. Um, I have been riding my bike for over 23 years. And my mom in Jersey uh, was like, this is not justice. This is crazy. You're getting old, you know, I'm 58 years old now. She's like, you can't be riding your bike around forever. I'm going to start writing letters to Governor Christie. And sure enough, she wrote him a bunch of letters. And finally, they landed in his hands. And his last night in office, Governor Chris Christie himself called me. And he was, and I was just, I started crying and of course laughing. And he said, uh, you just keep doing what you're doing. I love your 12-step program that you're in. You know, uh, I have so many friends whose lives ha lives have been saved by that program. I give you that pardon. And I got a pardon for that first DUI that I got in Jersey back in 93. And it opened the door for me to get a hardship license. So talk about a miracle. They told me I would never drive again, never teach again. Now I'm teaching, I'm driving. And guess what? In this last election, I was able to vote for the first time in 24 years. Yay, finally, my voice is being heard again. Uh, and you know, that's to me, that's a big deal, you know? Uh, another miracle, uh, I'll just share this one briefly. Um, four years ago, or no, in 2009, I went to uh, an AA convention in Jacksonville, Florida, heard a speaker, James L from Chicago, and we became Facebook friends, uh, did the long distance thing for, uh, for, for a long time. And he decided uh, to, to come to uh, Tallahassee to marry me. And so, you know, at the ripe old age of 54, I met the one, I, I married the one I thought I would never meet. Let's put it that way. And he's an amazing member of AA. He sponsors guys from all over the world. 
Um, and yeah, he, and, and he's hot <laughs> and another quick miracle, just so you can see how God works in my life. Do I have time? What's the time? Okay. Anyway, I'll tell you the miracle. Um, I, uh, I also got, when I, right when I got out of prison, I got asked to, um, to go to, or my therapist told me I had to go to an AA women's retreat. Well, I went to the women's retreat and the first speaker I ever heard was the amazing Polly P. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, what this woman is up there sharing like all these secrets and, and I, what courage to share that she, you know, neglected her son. She was an alcoholic mom. Well, guess what? Today, she's my mother-in-law. <laughs> I mean, how do, you, how do these things happen, right? God's hand was in my whole recovery story. And um, yeah, so anyway, um, I hope that everyone out there remembers that um, the higher power before them is greater than any fear they'll ever experience. If you live your life right, your life can be a prayer, you know? And, and remember the program uh, asked us to pray for only two things, the knowledge of God's will, or, and the knowledge of his will and the power to carry that out. You can't get any more simple than that. Sometimes my prayers are as simple as thank you. Sometimes my prayers are as simple as thy will be done. You know, uh, sometimes I say, God, show me the way to patience, tolerance, kindliness, and love. And sometimes I say the prayer that I read at the beginning for, for resentments. You know, um, the important thing is, is that as we move through our days and when we're confused and we don't know what to do, we turn to God for guidance. And it's a, you know, really a simple program. Quiet your mind, quiet your body through prayer and meditation, and, um, and the answer will come to you, you know? Um, and I also wanna wish everyone uh, happiness and, and uh, health in this new year. Uh, and, um, and, and please, above everything else, stay safe. And if I have time, I, my sponsor told me to read from our literature. Do I have time or no? I thought there was, a, okay. I still have four minutes. Okay. Now I probably have two. So good. I'm going to close with this reading. It's easy to let up on our spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. We are headed for trouble if we do. For alcohol is a subtle foe. We are not cured of alcoholism. What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Every day is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will into all of our activities. How can I best serve thee? Thy will, not mine, be done. These thoughts which must these are thoughts which must go with us constantly. We can exercise our willpower Along this line, all we wish. It is the proper use of will. Once again, thank you so much, everyone. What an honor to be able to, to share parts of my story with you tonight.